Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. What a beautiful truth that God's good to all. And in all honesty, it is true. Um, but if we're honest with ourselves, we can wrestle with that a lot. Uh, and and. I'm very excited. One of the, the scriptures we're going to look at this morning, uh, it's in Matthew chapter 7. If you want, you can go ahead and start flipping there now. If you, don't, if you don't have a Bible, if you didn't bring a Bible with you, you can grab one out of the chair in front of you. The page numbers are up on the screen. But that's one of the things we're going to be wrestling with this morning as we talk about praying and seeking God out. And that is, can we really trust him that whatever he brings is good? Uh, as Springer mentioned, Brad and Robert are gone for one more week, maybe two, maybe I don't know, but I will tell you this, we're not going to run out of material, and I love preaching it, and so if they're not here, I'll be here Sunday, and we'll just keep talking about Jesus and how great he is. All right, so Matthew chapter 7 is where we're going to be, we're going to be talking about prayer. This is a very, uh, typically it's a very well-known scripture, ask and you shall receive, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open. But anytime we talk about prayer, and I, I don't know that it matters whether it's from from here, or if it's in a Bible study, or if it's just somebody says, hey man, how's, how's your walk with the Lord? How is your prayer life going? I think there's always this residual guilt in us as Christians that we're not doing what? That we're not praying more. Um, and, and yes, I, I, I think we should be convicted by the Holy Spirit to be people who pray more. And yet, I, I do want to bring maybe a perspective that will, on one hand, comfort you from that residual guilt that I think exists for a reason, but I don't know that you're going to be able to fix it, um, at, at least not in this life, but in the life to come. And then also, I, I want to encourage us to do a few things in prayer. I want us to do it more frequently. Um, I, I think God's Word commends us to be fervent and then also to be in faith as we pray. So, so that's the outline. If you guys want to go ahead and put up the three points, the three things are prayers should be frequent, our prayers should be fervent, and our prayers should be in faith. And, and I know it would make more sense to say faithful, right? Like it would have flowed better. But if I say we need to be praying faithfully, we kind of think of the first two. Like if you're praying faithfully, I'm praying often and I'm praying seriously. When, I, when I'm talking about praying in faith, we're going to look at that in a little bit of a different way. So let me pray for us, and then we will jump in to Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. Pray with me if you would. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for the incredible, and just the incredible nature that right now I can be speaking, that we as a group of people can be praying and speaking to the God who created all things. Thank you, God, that, that we're not just on this spinning globe trying to make the best of a situation that was set in motion quite some time ago and now we are at our own devices to make things work out. No, God, you are intimately acquainted with all our ways, your word says. Father, you know us. You are closer than our own thoughts, than our own emotions, than our own feelings. The, the, the fact that we would withhold anything from you in prayer, Father, it's it's silliness. And so, Lord, this morning we pray for so many things. We pray for everywhere that the gospel is going out, not just in this church and not just in this city, but 
across the world where Brad and Robert are, where so many of the missionaries that we support are. We just want your gospel to go forward. We want to, after we spend time just digging and consuming and feasting on your word this morning, we want to be filled and we want to be satisfied. But Father, I pray that it would, it would spur us on to loving others, to good works and to seeing you more clearly, that our lives would freely and joyfully be given up to the advancement of the gospel, to the cause of, of Christ. And, and God, as we talk about something so practical as prayer, Lord, I, I just ask that your Holy Spirit would be in us and amongst us in such a way that we would realize that we who are in Christ get to go to you as our dad. As our Father, we can, we can come to you with anything and everything. And Father, not only that, that those in this room, that those who we love, that don't know you as father yet, that are not your children, that there is hope in a God who is long-suffering, wanting none to perish, who wants to see them respond to the gospel. And so this morning, may all of those things happen for your glory and for our joy. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You know, I, I think in talking about prayer, one of the reasons we can feel this residual guilt for not praying more or not praying more earnestly is because if we're honest, it's probably one of the most simple things of all the things that God's word commends us and commands us to do. Prayer is one of the most simplistic. If you think about evangelism, we can all think of awkward opportunities where the Holy Spirit just moves in our heart, we're like, okay, I need to talk to this person, and all right, what am I going to say first? And you just walk up, and you're like, and you just bumble, and then you're immediately like, do you go to church somewhere? Because that's like your best inroad, and then you kind of start fighting through awkward. I mean, it's hard. You know, we, we think about when the Bible tells us to count the cost, and we think about, you know, Christ commanding us to put everything aside and follow him, our, our hopes, our dreams, our finances, our energy, uh, all of these things being laid at the altar at the foot of the cross and being said to follow me, that, that's hard. But 1 Thessalonians 5.16, 5.17, pray continually. It was one of the first Bible verses I ever learned because when I was in Sunday school, we used to get candy if we memorized from Mr. West. That was my Sunday school teacher. And if we walked in and we could quote a scripture, it was like, here's some bubble gum. So Will got really good at memorizing very short scriptures. And y'all, you did it too. But it was good. I mean, I did it back then for the candy, but I still remember it, right? First Thessalonians 5, 517, pray continually. Boop, piece of candy. I'll take it. Next week, let me go to the verse before, be joyful always, hand it over. You know, 18 was a little harder, but, but on and on it went. And, and we are encouraged to pray continually. And, and I'm, not, I'm not talking about going to a hospital and praying over someone or uh, things like that. I think that can be difficult. I'm just talking about that prayer, how simple it is. We don't even have to close our eyes. We can, we can pray as we're dry. We can, it's so simple, and yet I think that's where some of our pent-up guilt is. All right, let's look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. We've been working through the Sermon on the Mount, and as you know, sometimes in Scripture, if you sit down and you read your Bible for 10 minutes, you can cover 10 years, you can cover 100 years in reading your Bible for 10 minutes. There are other times where, especially as we're taking sections of the Sermon on the Mount on Sunday morning, what is taking us a couple of months was only taking them a couple of moments. So Jesus 
is northwest of Capernaum. He's sitting on this ridge line that overlooks the Sea of Galilee. I've never been there, but apparently it's a magnificent view. And the way that Jesus would have taught traditionally was he would have been sitting down. So you can kind of get yourself, as I'm about to read this, in that place. We've had really great weather the past couple of days. And so you can kind of imagine yourself just sitting outside, sitting on the grass. How incredible would this be, having the Son of God, Jesus, just teaching, just talking about life and about God and and the way that we are to live and the way that Matthew handles the Sermon on the Mount. If you remember a a couple of months ago, we worked through the Lord's Prayer. We talked about how our prayers should not be hypocritical, about how our prayers aren't necessarily supposed to be super formalized. There's an informal nature to our prayer as well. And, and then Jesus gives us his model of prayer in the Lord's Prayer. And, and then there's all of these other teachings that follow after. We, we talked about um, fasting. We talked about not having your treasure here on earth, but having your treasure uh, etern- seen in light of eternity. The last week, we talked about judging. So we had all of these, okay, well, how do we interact with God? How do we interact with ourselves? How do we interact with people around us? And Jesus is just teaching and teaching, and only moments are going by. And last week, we finished with... A little bit of an odd verse where Jesus said, don't give your holy things to dogs. Don't cast your pearls before pigs. And, and he's talking about salvation, the advancement of the gospel, and people who are very hardened to it and wanting the message to continue going. And you can see how this would flow right after. He's talking about salvation. And you could almost see Jesus talking about this. And he looks up, verse 7, and he says, thinking about salvation, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you if his son asks him for bread will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So Jesus just begins to unfold. And and here's what we're going to notice. I mentioned it once. I'm going to mention it again. Jesus is going to encourage us that our prayers should be frequent, that they should be fervent, and they should be in faith. The frequency is quite obvious. Ask. Ask and seek. Ask and seek and knock. It's as though he's saying pray. Pray and pray, pray and pray and pray. And even though these three words are not the exact same word, we know that when God's word repeats itself, it's underlining itself, it's highlighting itself, it's putting itself in italics. Yeah, first, like I told you, First Thessalonians 5, 17. Pray continually. If you are in Christ, let me define what I mean by that. If you're in Christ If you are believing in Jesus, not in yourself, if you recognize that you don't have any way in or of yourself to make yourself in your own sin right with God and you are trusting in the work that Jesus did on the cross, you've repented of your sins and you've trusted in him, you are in Christ. That relationship that begins with you and God, I I, I would love to know what that looks like on the spiritual plane when somebody repents and believes what that looks like. 
But there is something that happens in our relationship with God. To us, we may have seemed very, very estranged and far from God, not knowing all of the things that he was doing and working to get us to the point of repentance. But the moment that happens, our relationship with God is eternal, right? My relationship with, with, with some people is not eternal. But my relationship with God is eternal. So just think about this logically. You, once you repent, once you are in Christ, have entered into an eternal relationship with God. And it's a relationship that deepens in desire. It's a relationship that deepens in delight daily for eternity. Now, what that means, C.S. Lewis, does it, he explains it this way. He explains heaven as an onion with layers, except it's, I don't know how, you, how to explain it. It's the inverse of an onion. So every time you pull a layer back, it is bigger than the layer before. So that as, as we enter in, by the way, this is his opinion. I can't like point, but I think it's beautiful. As we spend time with God, we're peeling back these layers and it's grander and it's brighter and it's greater than it was before. And we just put more energy and we're like, I want to peel back another layer and I want to know God more. That is what prayer is supposed to be. And that's why you feel like you never pray enough. Well, that's one reason. The other reason is you don't pray enough, okay? So, so let me not steal the conviction of the Holy Spirit as you're sitting in your chair going, I need to pray more. Yeah, you probably do, okay? We're, we could take a lesson from the Puritans in this. We don't pray that well. But, but I do want to kind of ease that perpetual I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. The reality is, if you had no duties to perform, if you were neither a husband or a wife, a mother, a father, a student, or an employee, or an employer, whatever else is you do. If you didn't have to eat, and if you didn't have to sleep, you would fall short of moments in a day to pray. Because as you spent more time with God, you would desire only more time with him. That is one of the things that is so great about heaven. We, we don't have to carry clocks, right? The sun doesn't set anymore. We just spend all eternity enjoying time with him. Right now, we are constrained by time. I think another thought, as Jesus is saying, he's saying, ask, seek, knock. We don't only need to pray for the big things. Um, I'll give you a great example. Uh, I think when our, our second oldest, when Thad was six months old, he was just having a ton of trouble with his ears. If you have kids, you know this, like, however our ears were developed, I think there's some kind of sin mixed in there because when you're a kid, they just don't, they don't work right. Dr. Evangelist is in agreement with me. Um, and so for whatever reason, Thad was just having tons and tons of ear infections, but he was only six months old. So he was still waking up in the middle of the night, usually a couple of times at night to eat. And as I say that, I don't know if that's a good practice or not. That's just how it worked. All right, moving on. So he would wake up in the middle of the night, like every night for those six months to eat a couple of times. And when a baby wakes up in the middle of the night, they, ah, right? And it's horrible. Well, we know this operation's coming up and all the doctors are like, you're having an operation. You can't, you can't eat after midnight, okay? Oh, I hate that, all right? So we're like, okay, we're not gonna feed our six-month-old after midnight. So like Karen Ann goes into like, serious prayer. And she ropes me into it. She's the one who, we were nursing at the time. I got to be a lazy dad. And so I was like, yeah, that sounds important. She was like, no, it is important. 
you don't, you don't understand. If he cries all this bad, and so I'm like, okay, all right. So we enter into prayer. Look, what were we praying for? We were praying that our kid would make it through the night, not being, not, not being hungry and crying and all this kind of stuff. I, this is just the grace of God. Every night up to that, he would wake up and cry, wake up and cry, wake up and cry. We get to the night before the surgery. 11.59, right? We're like putting stuff in his mouth, right? Mm. Go off of mine. Don't look at the satellite. Don't look. Just go off of mine, right? We're just shoveling food in the kid's mouth. At 11.59, it's like, bing! And we're like, all right, we're done, we're done, we're done. Put the kid to bed. So we put him to sleep, and he sleeps all the way through the night. That's good, and God's good. The next night, wakes up and cries for another six months. We had one night in a year where that didn't happen. Now, let me just tell you, like, God is good, and he is closer than our thought. If you can think it, you can pray it. And and, and so I I think we need to be freed up to frequently, often going to God. There's a story of these two pastors. One one was a pastor who had spent the lion's share of his life. He was in his 60s and 70s, and he became a pastor when he was very young. And he had spent the lion's share of his life just preaching the gospel and teaching and studying God's word. He had taken under him an apprentice for about a year. And they've gone on this retreat where they're learning and, and they're teaching and doing these kinds of things. And it was the first time they'd really spent time together in an overnight fashion. And they were trying to be good stewards of the funds of the church. So they just got one room. Well, the, the first night, they, they eat dinner and then they go into their rooms. And the, the old, the weathered pastor just climbs into bed and goes to sleep. Well, the young pastor, of course, man, he's, he's on his knees and he's, he's pushing in and he's praying and he's praying and he can't help but look up occasionally and be like, what's up with this, this guy, right? Like, he's supposed to be leaving. The guy's not even praying. So finally, he finishes his prayers. He goes to sleep. They wake up the next morning. They're having breakfast and he just can't hold it. He don't want to be judgmental, right? We don't do that. He don't want to be judgmental. But at the same time, he's curious. He's like, what's the story? What's going on here? And so he finally builds up the courage. He's like, pastor, you got to explain this to me. You just went to bed. You didn't even, you didn't even seek the Lord. I was, I was at my bed praying, praying for the work we're doing and praying that the Holy Spirit would use us and that he would work in us. And he looked, the older pastor looked at the younger pastor and, and he said, my boy, I've been talking with God all the day long. I needed only to say goodnight. I love that. I love it because I think that is the prayer life that I aspire to. Doesn't mean there aren't times when I'm on my knees and pushing in, but I aspire to that. James 4, 2 tells us that we don't have because we're not asking. I, I want to do a real quick social experiment here. Um, a lot of times this verse is misinterpreted. We, we look and we say, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open. For everyone who asks receives. Now, this has been taken by people who do not handle God's word in a proper way. Uh, This is where we see some prosperity verses coming out. Just ask, you know, if you're not getting, and by the way, this to me is also why people don't pray, because they're so afraid that if they ask for something and they don't get it, then it's like an indictment on them, that their faith, we'll talk about that in just a second. But I want you to imagine just for a second that that were true. Ask and you, for the next 30 minutes, I want you to imagine that anything you asked of God was yours. For the next 30 minutes in this room, anything that you asked of God was going to be given to you. I 
I have to give it a little more time because some of y'all are holier than others. When I was thinking about this, I realized that it did not take very many moments for my prayers to become very self-indulgent. Maybe you're holier than me. Maybe you were praying that the gospel, or your thought was, yeah, if I got 30 minutes to ask, I, I, I would pray that the gospel would be in every language. I would pray that I would have heart for missions. I would pray that poverty would be ended and that people would see Christ as the fulfillment of everything that they need. But I would be willing to bet that if your heart is anything like mine, there are only so many moments before you start thinking about things and stuff and people and relationship and status. It's been said, and I think wisely, that if God did give you whatever you asked for, you would be far too terrified to ask. And the reason is, if you, if you have any time under your belt in walking with the Lord, you know that you've prayed and asked for things that would have wrecked you, right? If God had given you that thing, it would have ruined you. It would have wrecked you. You would be regretting now the very thing that you thought was good. As Paul and as Chelsea and as Rick were singing, he, is good. he gives good to all. He is good to all. But the reality of it is, God's good and our good can be very, very different. I, I, was, I was thinking, ask and you shall receive, seek and you will find, knock and it will be given to you. What is the grandest, most outrageous, most complicated thing I could ask God for? If I was going to be as difficult, right, like kids, if I could be as difficult as I could possibly be, what would be the most complicated, outrageous thing I could ask God for? It wouldn't be stuff, right? Jet ski, bing, that's not hard for him, okay? Fill the stage up, that's like nothing. You know, it's the cattle on a thousand hill. Anything material is a joke, that's easy for God. Super easy. What about something intangible like status or popularity or fame? That's super simple. Your 10 likes go to 10 million likes. People in China can do that right now. Like they can hack and they can, or your bank account can go from $100 to $100 million. Just moving a decimal. You think God can't handle that? Boom, that's super simple. I'm not trying to just be like pastorally whatever. This is what I honestly think. Me standing next to God, I can think of nothing more complicated. I can think of nothing more outrageous, and I can think of nothing more grand for me to ask God for. That I would be able to stand in his presence, and not just for a moment, forever. I can't think of anything more grand than that. And yet that is the very thing that God leads with in this passage. Our sonship with him. Yeah, you know, I... Let me give you a couple of ways that I think will help you with that in, in praying more frequently. And by the way, you'll be able to come up with better stuff for you. I'm just going to tell you some things that have helped me in praying more frequently. Um, refuse yourself the first five minutes of the radio when you get in your car. It, it, it's amazing when we're, when we're quiet, we just, if, if we are in Christ, many times we just naturally begin to pray because we naturally slow ourselves down and we, we begin to think... I, just refuse yourself the first five minutes of hitting the button on the radio in the car. Uh, I, I think um, what I used to do is wear my watch upside down, but 
just getting a little colored string, putting a little, you could get on Amazon right now and in 90 seconds order these teeny little rubber bands that are red or something like that and just put it around your watch band so that every time you look down to see what time it is, how long is this guy gonna go today? You're like reminded to pray and to go before God. Set your passwords to Bible verses. You wanna talk about convicting? I did that like years ago. Wrecks me to this day, Right? Like I said, my, one of my passwords uh, is, is out of Luke, and it's about being in God's word constantly. And so when I sit down and I go to log on to the computer, I can't at least, you know, think before I get on Facebook or StumbleUpon or Instagram or Pinterest or whatever else it is. I can't not think, oh, did I spend time in God's word before I just go and not make the best? Uh, it's beautiful. Don't do it. It'll wreck you, but do it because it's good. Make the password 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Pray continually. Like the government, NASA would accept that password. It's got numbers, it's got special characters, it's got a capital in there. It's like a mile and a half long. All of a sudden, everybody can hack each other's account at Crosspoint. This is, this is one of the silliest things I do. I set markers places. Uh, I, I did this a few months ago when we were praying uh, before we got Tigner home. There's a piece of reflective tape. I bought it at Home Depot. There's a piece of reflective tape on my way home, you don't notice it during the day, but every night that I drive home, my light hits it and it illuminates and it reminds me to pray. It, maybe, maybe that doesn't work for you. Grab a little rock, sit it on top of your mailbox. Every time you go out, every time you come and you see it, or on those little green electrical boxes that nobody ever touches. Just stick, I, I'm telling you that as silly as those things sound, they work and they cause us. Nothing works better than praying that God would give you a heart to pray. So make sure you do that as well. Secondly, we need to be fervent in our prayer. We're going to jump over to Luke chapter 11. We're going to jump to Luke chapter 11. Now, Luke's gospel is a little bit different than Matthew's. Matthew gives us a lot more detail. Luke is much more precise. It's much more whittled down. Now, what you'll find if you flip to Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. Hang on, I'm trying to get there too. Verses 1 through 4, I believe, are the Lord's Prayer. Yeah. So Jesus goes through the Lord's Prayer. And then if you jump down to verse 9, you'll see, And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. So in Matthew, remember I told you, what's taken us a couple of months, they covered in moments. In Luke, all of those instructions on prayer and our ask, seek, knock prayer only has one thing in the middle of it. What is it that sits in the middle? Well, this. Verse five. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. Uh, this guy, I, I invited him over. He got here early. I, I wasn't expecting him. We we're gonna go to the market tomorrow, but he's already arrived. I've got no food to give him. He's tired. He's hungry. I wanna be a good host. I wanna, I wanna, I wanna show this guy love. I, I need some food. Can you just give me three loaves of bread? I know that it's midnight. Verse seven, and the friend will answer from within. This, this is how you know it's a friend. Because if it was an acquaintance, they'd show up. If it was a stranger, it would just be silent, right? You know your friends. Don't bother me. Leave me alone. It's midnight. The door is now shut. And my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. Dude, the house is shut down. I've already changed the thermostat. The door's locked, okay? I'm not getting up. I'm cozy. Netflix is on. I'm gonna have to hit pause. I can't find the remote. 
I don't want to get up, right? That's what you do with your friends. There's a relationship there, so you feel like you can sort of be a jerk to them sometimes. And that's what's happening here. The guy's like, I don't want to get out of bed. We got a Willy Wonka thing. All the kids are in the bed. I don't know how that played out. Verse 8. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything, that's his heart, because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, the guy, dude, I need bread. I'm in bed. I need it. The kids are asleep. I need bread. Fine, fine, fine. That's how it plays out. He will rise and give him whatever he needs. And then look at what comes after. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open. Let me explain what this verse is not saying. God is not a friend who is begrudging. God is not like, you will not quit praying. God doesn't. (laughs) I don't think that's the issue. This is an if-then argument. What God is saying is if you annoying the neighbor gets them to get up, how much more am I waiting for you who is desiring to give you good things? One of, one of the most interesting things about this passage out of Luke chapter 11 is that word impudence. Did you notice that? In your version, it may have said persistence. A lot of times our Bible, uh, it It uses the word persistence. Impudence is only used in the New Testament right here. That's it. It it may not exist anywhere. I know it only exists in the New Testament here. It may be nowhere else in the Bible, but at least in the New Testament, it's only here. And let me explain to you what impudence means, because I had to look it up. It basically means being socially inappropriate. That's what it's saying. The Bible is saying... This guy wanted the bread so much that sensitivity did not matter to him. I got to have it. I've got to have it. Now hear me. We should be going to God in prayer saying, God, I've got to have it. Not the stuff, not the status, not the money, not the junk that perishes and fades and rusts. i got to have you. I've got to know you. This person, my sister, my dad, my cousin, my coworker, they've got to know you. God, I'm coming and I'm knocking and I'm knocking because I need you to hear me. I need you to answer my prayer. And God's response is, I am ready at the door. So ready. And, 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 and even the way that Jesus explains this, it builds, right? So if one of my kids wants to go fishing, they want to go hunting, what do they do? They ask, right? It's simple enough. Dad, can we go hunting today? Uh, okay, yeah. Or I'm not in the room or I'm not around them. So what do they do? It takes a little bit more energy. We can't ask him until we find him. We better go seek. All right, so let's walk around the house. Let's find dad so we can ask him if we can go hunting. Then what happens if they don't see? They start knocking on the closed doors. I know you're here. Your truck's right there. (laughs) You've had this happen. Kids can be persistent at a locked door. Right? It's getting late. Doors closed. They're supposed to be in bed asleep. Doors locked. Seriously. (laughs) They'll go away. They'll go away. So persistent. 
Right? This is the example that we're given. We should constantly, persistently, and fervently be going after God. Our God wants to, he wants to hear us. He wants to commune with us. In fact, one of my favorite, when I was growing up, one of my favorite lessons was Elijah and the prophets of Baal. You remember? I didn't love it because fire came from heaven. That was cool. I loved it because Elijah made fun of them and God was cool with it. Right? Like, and, 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 and you take First uh, Kings chapter 14, I think it's 18. I don't know if I wrote it down. Uh, yep, First Kings chapter 18. And you line it up next to Luke chapter 11. And what you have is Elijah mocking these prophets because their God won't get up. Our God is always up. He's always standing. He's always ready. He's always listening. He's always wanting to give his kids good things. And he's always wanting his non-kids to become his kids. But, But not anything else in this world. Elijah Maybe you should pray a little bit louder. Maybe your God's asleep. Start praying loud. Maybe you should be more fervent. They start cutting themselves. Maybe your God needed to go potty for a minute. That's what he says. Check it out. First Kings 18. Have a quiet time tonight. That's what he says. But not our God. Our God is always ready. And he's always willing to hear from his kids. We should fervently go to God because we are his kid. That's the way Jesus explains it, right? In fact, you can go a step further and you should say, you should be going fervently after God in prayer if you are his kid, but you should also be going fervently to God in prayer if you are not his kid. If you're in this place right now and you're like, I'm just kind of checking out this whole Christianity thing, or as, as the scripture has been read to you over the past few weeks, you're sitting here questioning, like, am I really one of God's kids? One of the most beautiful things is, all you have to do is ask. All you have to do is seek. All you have to do is knock. Ask for the forgiveness of your sins. Seek repentance. Trust in Christ who can do what you never would have been able to do. That is the gospel and it's what we are all called to. At, when we close this thing out in a couple of minutes, I'm going to be sitting down here. Springer's going to be sitting down here. Reynolds, he's with the kids. Don't worry about it. The, we want to pray with you. The people around you who know, who know Christ, they want to pray with you. Don't walk out of this place tonight if you're not God's kid. Let's look at Matthew 7 one more time. Verse 9. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread? This is the illustration. God is looking to us as his children would give him a stone. Or if he asked for a fish, would give him a serpent. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? What Jesus did was revolutionary in human history. The idea that he would that he would say, Abba, Father. And that he would instruct his disciples and his followers to cry out to God as Abba, Father, was an incredibly new teaching. Because no Jew would ever dare pray, Daddy. But that is the relationship of one who is trusting in Christ. Dad, here's what's going on. I need you. I'm seeking you. I'm knocking. I'm asking. 
Please, Dad. And the greatest promise of this is not that our prayer is heard, but that our prayer is only answered with things that are good. That's a good dad. The good dad is the one who withholds something that would do harm to his child, even if the child doesn't recognize in the moment that it would do them harm. If God has given you sonship, daughtership, if he has invited you into the family, what won't he give you? Only that which would do you harm. But we'll do it. We'll pray. And we're like, oh God, I want this. Oh, I need this. And God's like, it's a rock, man. If you bite it, it's going to break you. It's going to jack up your teeth. You're going to be in pain. You're going to regret it. Oh God, that's what I need. That's what I need. I need, some fi- I need some sustenance. And God's like, that's not a fish, man. That's a snake. You don't want that. You don't want that. Finally, we pray in faith. We should be faithful in prayer. That's being fervent. That's being frequent in our prayers. But we need to be in faith when we pray. I've, uh, I've been in a lot of different churches and on, on different missions teams and things like that. And I think one of the things that inhibits our prayers most, and I said this when we kicked off, is what we think of ourselves if our prayer isn't answered. And I, I just want to tell you, I think that's a really broken reason not to pray. Your relationship with God is not dependent upon whether or not your prayer is answered in a certain way or in a certain time. Your relationship with God is and is only dependent on the work of Christ. Not on how hard you pray. Let's, let's just be honest about it. It's not like you can just squeeze faith. That's not how it works. It's a gift. It's something to be prayed for. But I think the other thing that messes us up is that we're so convinced that we know what is best, we don't trust what God would actually say is good for us. And so to ask for it is contrary. Psalms 84, 10 through 12 tells us this. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand anywhere else. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. He's my protector. He's my provider. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold. How does this verse start? I got a relationship with him. He's my God. He's my dad. Right? I'd rather spend a day there. This goes back to our, 30, 30, uh, our little social experiment. If you were given 30 minutes to ask whatever you want, and this guy says, here's the deal. I don't want to be anywhere. I don't want anything. A thousand times of something is worth nothing compared to one moment with my God. And how does it finish? No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Not just trust that God can do what we ask for, but trust that God will do what is good, whether it's what we ask for or not. It's a beautiful promise that God gives us. God's Heart is different than ours. It's pure. His character isn't mingled with sin. He sees the end from the beginning. He sees eternity in front of him, whereas you and I cannot. God is good, so he gives good gifts. He is wise, so he knows what is good, what good gifts are. So let's deal with something very hard. So, Will, are you telling me that praying for 
my cousin who has cancer to be healed, that that was not a good thing? He died. Are you telling me that that was not a good thing? Or praying for a loved one or someone that you care about that they would respond to the gospel and the day comes and you don't know that they actually did. There wasn't any evidence there and you'd been praying. Will, are you, how can that be a good thing? That's real life, isn't it? I could quote to you that his ways are above our ways and his thoughts are above our thoughts and that would be true. But God has also chosen to reveal more of himself to us in situations like that. Psalm 136.1 tells us this. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Mark chapter 10 verse 18. Jesus referring to us and to God. He says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, we have to understand a very fancy term called the hypostatic union of Christ where Jesus is both fully divine and he is both fully human. He's not saying that he's not God here, but what he is saying is that there is no good except for God. When we think, how does that change your prayer equation? That you, and it's in here, you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your kids. How much more does your father in heaven know how to give good gifts to those who ask him? There is none, here's, I know this. In those situations, I know this. I know that God is good. I know that. Secondly, I know that he does whatever he pleases. Psalms 115. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Look at the heart of this prayer. It's not about me. I'm not number one. I'm not on top. You are, God why should the nation say, where is their God? Our God is in heaven, in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. I know that God is good and I know that he does as he pleases. I also know that he's sovereign and that he's righteous and that he's just. And that he cannot be both sovereign and righteous and just and holy without punishing evil. But he is also loving and merciful and compassionate. Two reins on the horse. And I also know this, 2 Peter 3, 9. I know that he is long-suffering. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. Some count slowness. But is patient toward you. Not wishing that any should perish. But that all should reach repentance. The reality of it is I can't answer all of those questions. I, I, can, I can point to some scripture but I can tell you that God is good and he does what he pleases. That he is both kind and merciful and compassionate and just and holy and righteous. And he's long-suffering, wanting none to perish. And when I take those four truths and they combine into this cosmic reality that we all walk through, it, it doesn't give me full comfort for those difficult situations, but it does give me some. And what it immediately causes me to do Say, oh, thank God. Thank you that you were long-suffering and patient with me. That I had no good thing, but you did. You had the only good thing. And I deserved wrath, and I deserved punishment, and I deserved all this, but you were long-suffering because you're merciful and you're kind. So if it does cause my prayers to be adorned with a gracious thanks to the God who rescued me. 
and in this moment would rescue anyone in this room who would repent and cry out to him. I'm going to end with my favorite verse on prayer. I I came across this um, a couple of years ago. And I don't know how many times I read it before it, it hit my heart. It's, it's actually in the book of Revelations. If you want to turn there, this is where we will close up today. Revelations chapter 8. We're going to look at verses 1 through 10. Revelation is a very complicated book, but let me just give you a little bit about what's going on. <clears throat> the preparation for the new kingdom. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, the Lord's prayer. What has been prayed for, the model that Jesus gave us, that kingdom is about to be ushered in. A scroll is handed to the only one who's worthy to hold it. And that, of course, is the lamb, that's Jesus. So he has this scroll and there are seven seals on it. And the removal of the seventh symbolizes the opening of the scroll and the end of the world as we know it and the beginning of the new kingdom that we're instructed to pray for. Verse 1 in Revelation chapter 8. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. I just love thinking about that. Heaven, silent for half an hour. The big inward breath before what comes next. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. This is a bowl. A censer is a bowl. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. This is gonna happen, people. Like, I, I can't tell you when, but this is gonna happen. It goes on. Then the angel took that bowl, he took the censer, and he filled it with fire from the altar, and he threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. What's happening here? There is a bowl that sits before the throne of God. And what sits in it are the prayers of the saints. Your prayers. This is what happens when you pray. This is, where, this is what happens in some of your prayers when you pray. They go and have right now, think of it. As I'm talking, you can be praying And adding yet another prayer to this golden bowl in heaven that sits before God. And all heaven gets silent. And God, who has all sovereignty and all power and all might, can do anything with the word of his mouth. Ushers in the new kingdom by pouring out, if you are in Christ... Your prayers on this earth. You think your prayers don't matter? Every one of your prayers matters. Every one of your prayers prayed in faith matters. And it doesn't just matter today. It matters for all eternity. Not one of them is wasted on a God who is good and loves to give good gifts to his kids. We need to be people who pray frequently and fervently and in faith. Let's pray together now.
Father, as we as we just pause for a moment in these last moments before we go back into the world that desires to distract us, that desires to feed us pleasures and appetites that will wither our soul. May we in this moment just appreciate the grand nature of sinful fallen humanity being able to speak and be heard by a most righteous holy God. And as we pray knowing that you hear, that as we seek you, you are found that as we knock, the door is open. So Father, I, I just simply ask, Lord, that we would be people who love you more than anything else in this world. That Jesus would be the foremost concern of our heart. That the people in this room who came in not knowing you as Abba, Father, would leave with sonship. Being a daughter or a son of the Most High God. And Father, for those of us who like that preacher, or whether we've been walking with you for years, maybe even for decades, may we never stop to appreciate the incredible nature of speaking to our God and being heard by him. Father, help us to come to you often, as often as, as thoughts run through our minds and through our hearts, may we take them captive and hold them to the obedience of Christ. And may we not weary or tarry or grow weak, Some of us have been praying for things for a long, long time and the temptation is to stop. But Father, may we continue knocking. May we continue pleading, knowing that you're long-suffering and patient and good. Father, may our prayers be in faith. Not just that you can do all things, but that you will do all things that are good. And may our trust rest in that. Christ's name.